0: Now, if you would, uh, grab your Bible, have it nearby, because we want to begin to talk about something that is very, very interesting regarding the Christmas story. Do you know, periodically in our culture, we are scandalized, and there's a lot of fascination that happens inside of the culture with scandals that come up. And we have them on a regular basis, for example, just this last week, former... College Football Hall of Famer and NFL Football Hall of Famer O.J. Simpson was sentenced to a minimum of nine years in prison for some of the events that happened in his life. We have scandals like that coming to the surface all the time. You think of a person like entertainer Britney Spears, and we've been through several rounds of scandals that relate to Britney Spears, and one of the most interesting scandals that has come to the forefront in our culture in recent years have been scandals actually involving female public school teachers in their 30s and in their 40s who have gotten involved sexually with their young male students. Just on Wednesday, another one of these came to light, where 35-year-old Lisa Glyde who was a drama teacher at Old Bridge High School in New Jersey. Information came out about her involvement with a 17-year-old student. And when there are scandals, there's this sort of a dark curiosity about all of them. Uh, Maybe we could say a fixation and a fascination with scandal, especially when we're not involved, but someone else is involved. And when you look at all of that, just the way our culture looks at scandals, you might say it's a little bit distasteful and distressing for sure. And you might even say when you're moving into the Christmas season, um, scandal just looks like it doesn't fit with the whole Christmas story. But the reality is the Christmas story had scandal at the very heart of it. And it's easy to forget that. It's easy to forget, as the Christmas story unfolds, it unfolds in an atmosphere that was ripe with scandal. In fact, the set of circumstances that begin to play out would readily breed incredible innuendo. The events of Christmas occur in a soap opera-like atmosphere because you do remember the story. You have a young Teenaged girl who ends up pregnant even though she is engaged to be married. And if you think about those events, you can imagine how you would ask, what's the story here? How does this work? You have a young teenager who's engaged to be married and she's pregnant. How did that happen? What's her future husband going to do? How is he going to respond to this whole story? Is he going to accuse her of unfaithfulness? Is he going to accuse her of adultery? Is he going to publicly humiliate her? How is he going to respond? So what we want to do is this week and next week we want to talk about the great Christmas scandal. And we're going to look at this in two parts. First of all, we're going to look at the great Christmas scandal from the standpoint of Mary. She's one of those involved, and that means we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke. And then next week, we're going to look at the great Christmas scandal from the standpoint of the guy involved with this, a guy by the name of Joseph. And in order to do that, we will be in the Gospel of Matthew. So we want to look at the great Christmas scandal. It's a great way to get oriented to Christmas, first from the standpoint of Mary, the young teenage girl, and then from the standpoint of Joseph, the guy who was legally engaged to her. And I want you to know, my goal as we look at the great Christmas scandal is really twofold. I have two goals in mind. The first goal is that we would just have a fresh appreciation for the significant events that are involving Christmas. That we would just have a fresh sense of what was going on. And then the second goal is that we would look at a character quality, one for Mary and one for Joseph that we see demonstrated by them that I believe is a character quality that God desires for me to emulate and for you to emulate. In other words, I'm saying there's something we can learn from Mary and there's something we can learn from Joseph as we look at the great Christmas scandal. So if you have your Bible, take it, open it to the Gospel of Luke and chapter number one. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one under a chair in front of you. You can grab that Bible and the back portion of it, turn to page 43 and you will find yourself at Luke chapter one. Now as you open your Bible, We want to look at the great Christmas scandal, first from the standpoint of Mary, and I would like to read from chapter 1, beginning with verse 26, and invite you to follow along in your Bible as we read from verse 26 down through verse 38. It says, now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, Gabriel said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, how can this be, since I am a virgin? for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, "Behold, the bond slave of the Lord; may it be done to me according to your word." Now when we look at these events in Luke chapter 1 in verses 26 and following, it's very important that we look at the historical context of what had happened before these events occurred. 1,000 years before Luke chapter 1, as found in Psalm 89, verses 36 to 37, the Lord God Himself had approached David and had said to David, your descendants will endure forever. Your throne, David, your rule will be as the sun, the S-U-N before me, just as the sun is constantly there, so will your throne be, and your throne, David, will be established forever. A thousand years before Luke 1, that is what God had said to David, and if you know the history, you'll know that David indeed made it to be king, and he ruled for 40 years, and then his Son Solomon ruled for 40 years. But then the kingdom, the throne, the rule of David began to unravel. And in 586 BC, the last remains of the Davidic rule um, disappeared with Nebuchadnezzar, who came down and took Judah, the southern kingdom of David, into captivity. And so the flame of hope about the rule of David had become a dying ember. In fact, by the time you come to Luke chapter 1, David's kingdom had been in ashes for 580 years. And on top of that, because of their unfaithfulness as a nation, God had actually refused to communicate at all. With those in Israel for four centuries. Four centuries. And so again, you have promises that go back a thousand years. The kingdom has been lying in ashes for 580 years. God hasn't said anything for four centuries. And then you have verse 26. In the sixth month, Of that year, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth. God hasn't said anything for 400 years, and Gabriel is sent to this city called Nazareth. He wasn't sent to Rome, which was the leading city of the world, he wasn't sent to Alexandria, which was the leading city of the region, he wasn't even sent to Jerusalem, which was the capital of Israel. Instead, he was sent to a place called Nazareth. A little sleepy town out in the countryside of Galilee. And Nazareth was as insignificant as any place could be. Totally an unimportant place. In fact, what's interesting is you can go through the entire Old Testament, there's not one mention of the city of Nazareth. Josephus, who was the Jewish historian, wrote multiple volumes, never a mention of of the city of Nazareth in fact in John chapter 1 and verse 46 just to give you a a feeling of Nazareth Nathanael once said could any good thing ever come out of Nazareth and you know I think there's an object lesson here God really wasn't looking for the most significant power people of the day God wasn't really looking for the most intelligent person that he could find, the most powerful person that he could find. In fact, you know what? God specializes in taking the weak, in taking the flawed, taking the seemingly obscure and insignificant and choosing to manifest his glory through them. And believe me, I understand that. I really do. I understand God taking the obscure and the insignificant and saying, I want to manifest my glory through that person. Keep your finger in Luke chapter 1 and turn with me uh, deeper into the New Testament to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And Paul talks about how God will take the obscure and the insignificant, the weak and the flawed, and he will manifest his glory through people like that. And in verse 26 of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul writes, For consider your call, the call of God to you, brethren. There was not many wise according to the flesh, not many who according to the world's standards were at the top of the heap, not many mighty, we could say not many influential, not many noble, but... God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and He's chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong, and the base things of the world and the despised, what people look down on, God has chosen the things that are not that He might nullify the things that are, and there's a purpose behind all of this, that no man should boast before God. You know, this next verse, to me, is one of the most powerful verses in the New Testament. But by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, just as it is written, let him who boasts boast in the Lord. It's so true. God doesn't just take the most significant, pick out the most significant people, which tells us there's hope for all of us, right? For all of us. And so indeed, when we go back to Luke chapter 1, where does Gabriel go? He goes to one of the most insignificant places, a place called Nazareth. And in verse 27, it tells us that he comes to a virgin, engaged to a man whose name was Joseph. And we're getting introduced here to the potential scandal of the day. She was a young teen. I want you to think about girls that you know who are 13, 14 years old, perhaps at the oldest, 15. That's how old Mary was. So perhaps you're here and you're a girl and you're 13, 14 years old. I want you to just place yourself into this or if you have a daughter that age or someone else, you know, that's who we're talking about here. And it tells us that she was engaged to a man whose name was Joseph. Now in that culture what they would do is that when arrangements were made for a couple to be married, they would sign a one-year binding agreement. We're going to talk more about that next week. So under the guidance of her parents, this 13, 14-year-old girl had signed a one-year binding agreement. I'm going to marry this man in 12 months. She was engaged and betrothed Legally binded in marriage to Joseph. But as this story unfolds, she's going to be pregnant, but not by Joseph. An incredible potential scandal. Notice verse 28. Coming in, Gabriel says to her, Greetings, favored one the Lord is with you. Now, you just have to figure this. God hasn't spoken for 400 years. You are a 13, maybe 14-year-old girl, and suddenly someone comes in and says to you, Hail, favored one. No doubt this was completely unexpected. No 13, 14-year-old girl expected to have somebody appear to them and give this very high greeting. In fact, I think Mary's perspective, if we could put it this way, about what happened might have been something like this. She might have related, my father was in the field and my mother had gone to market and I was mending clothes and I must admit I was daydreaming about Joseph, the man I was betrothed to Mary. And suddenly I was startled. I looked to the doorway, and there stood a stranger. I thought he he must have been seeking my father, and I would have told him to go, but he stepped through the door, and he spoke to me, and he said, "'Hail, woman, richly blessed. The Lord is with you.'" Who was this? What did he want? He didn't seem dangerous in a threatening way but neither did he seem altogether safe he was he was really different You have the angel coming to a very insignificant little 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 town to a family that wasn't particularly special they were poor they were humble and the angel says to this 13 14-year-old girl, hail favored one. You are a recipient of special honor and grace from God. Now, you can imagine her response to that. Verse 29, she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. In fact, if you look at Mary, you find out that she was not one who was just really quick to speak. In fact, she was one of those thinker types. She would would ponder stuff. Someone would say to her, rather than just saying, what do you mean by that? She would think about, whoa, I wonder what that means. She was a ponderer. We see that not only here, but we can also see it in Luke chapter 2. Look at Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2 and verse 19. This is when the shepherds come later on. And notice it says, Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. She would just think about, wow, what's the significance of all this? What does all this mean? Look at chapter 2 and verse 51. Verse 51. Jesus made certain statements to his mom and dad later, and he went down with them, it says, and came to Nazareth, and he continued in subjection to them. And his mother treasured all these things in her heart. She was just thinking about it, she was pondering all of that. And so you have this high level greeting given by Gabriel to her. And so she's thinking, what does this mean? And then you'll notice in verse 30 back in Luke 1 that the angel gives her some reassurance. And he says to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And then beginning with verse 31, the plan begins to unfold. He says to this 13, 14-year-old girl, behold, you will conceive in your womb, and you will bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus, for he will be great And will be called the son of the most high and the lord god will give him the throne of his father david and he will reign over the house of jacob forever and his kingdom this son who would be born to you will have no end verse 31 you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and his name shall be called Jesus. Now, it's funny how unattached we are from the customs of the day and the situation of the day, but do you realize that Jesus was a very common name, very common name? In fact, five of the high priests had the name of Jesus. Josephus, that Jewish historian who wrote about all kinds of people in his historical writings mentions 20 different people, 20 different people who had the name of Jesus. In fact, later on in the New Testament, one of the friends of Paul is cited in the book of Colossians, and his name was Jesus Justice, a very common name. It would be like an angel coming to a 13, 14-year-old girl today and says, you're going to have a son and you need to name him Dave. You name him Bob. A very, very common name in our culture. Now, I think there's a couple of reasons why the angel says you need to name him Jesus. Part of it is it stresses that Jesus was going to be a regular Joe. Joe. He was going to be a regular guy. He was going to be human just like us. He was just going to be another Dave, another Bob, another Joe. That's part of the reason why the angel says, you shall call him Jesus. Another reason why, of course, is the the true meaning of the name. I don't know if you've ever looked up the meaning of your name. I'm not even sure where these things come from. But I remember one time I looked up the meaning of my name, Bruce. Bruce. Here's the meaning of my name, happy conqueror. <laughs> I don't know what that means. I'm not even sure how you can be a conqueror and be happy at the same time. But our names mean something, and Jesus' name meant something. And his name meant the Lord saves, or the Lord is salvation. What was the angel communicating to this 13, 14-year-old girl, your son is going to be a regular Joe. He is going to be human. He is going to be flesh and blood. And yet, yet, he goes on to say, he will be the son of the Most High. The Most High is one of the most exalted names of God that there ever was. Your son is not only going to be a regular Joe, he's going to be the son of the Most High. Your son is going to reign over Israel forever. Your son's kingdom will have no end. He is not only going to be human, he is going to have divinity, and he's going to have deity. Now put yourself in her place. You can almost sense that young Mary is on overload excuse me, what did you just say? Could we just clarify that a little bit? You know, she's wrestling with the ramifications of all of this. And so we have verse 34, and Mary says to the angel, how can this be? How can this be? Since I am a virgin. By the way, This raises the issue of the virgin birth, or more accurately, the virgin conception. And there have been certain scholars for years who have made fun of the idea of the virgin birth or the virgin conception. It's frequently been ridiculed, and I really don't understand why. People forget who wrote this account. The Gospel of Luke was written by Luke, who was a physician. He was a trained doctor. He was a well-trained individual. He was extremely intelligent. In fact, the Greek that Luke writes with in this gospel is the highest quality Greek of the day. This was a trained physician. This was a highly intelligent person. And this was someone who said, you know what, when I investigate and write out an account of what happened, I am going to meticulously, as any physician might, examine all of the facts. If you go back in chapter 1 to verse 3, I want you to see what Luke writes there. He says, it seemed fitting for me, having investigated everything carefully from the beginning, I checked it all out, to write out for you in consecutive order what happened. And we, we know as we just look at the account that he had to have, he had to have directly interviewed Mary herself because as we saw from chapter 1 verse 29, chapter 2 verse 19, and uh, verse 57 he even knew what she was thinking. How did he find that out? Because he had interviewed her and she was explaining even though words weren't coming out of her mouth, she was explaining what was going on on the inside. And Luke very emphatically communicates this was a virgin. Two times in verse 27, Gabriel appeared to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And even in verse 34, when Mary's hearing all this, she goes, "How can this how can this happen since I am?" A virgin. I have never had any sexual experience in my life. And the angel, verse 35, answered and said to her, by the way, an incredible communication here. Because in a non crude, very holy way, the angel says to this 13, 14 year old girl, the power of God is going to envelop you and is going to create a pregnancy the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you and for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. Now there's a number of reasons why the virgin conception was required. We well, could spend a lot of time talking about it but the most significant reason why it was required was to avoid the sinful nature we needed an offspring who could substitute for sinful men. And like begets like. Dogs beget dogs. Cats beget cats. And sinful men beget sinful offspring. And the curse of sin is passed down through Adam's line. And in order to end up with a child who would not be tainted by sin, the virgin conception was needed. He was to be the God-man, fully human, a regular Joe, so that he could be empathetic and sympathetic with us, but he also had to be fully God so that he would be able to die for the sins of the world. And then the angel goes on to further give her comfort. When she says, How can this be? He goes on to say, Behold, verse 36 your relative Elizabeth, who has conceived a son in her old age, she'd been barren for years. And she is now in her sixth month of pregnancy. How is this going to happen? God is going to get involved. And God is going to envelop you and create a pregnancy in you. And if you don't think that's possible, you need to look over to your cousin Elizabeth, who is way beyond the childbearing years, and she's six months pregnant. And then he also adds, for nothing, verse 37, will be impossible with God. Don't think this can't happen. Look at your relative Elizabeth, and remember, nothing is impossible. With God, now it's important that we realize this is just not all cut and dried here. You know, like Mary's going to go, yeah, sounds good, uh, no problem. Let's just go with this thing. I mean, there was incredible risk for her. What would Joseph say? I'm going to tell him that God came over me and impregnated me. Whoa. Another risk wasn't just the rejection from Joseph and even the risk from her family, but even the risk of justice being done because the letter of the law said in the day that if you were involved in this one-year contract, that you if you did not remain pure, if you got involved sexually with someone else, that you should be taken to the edge of town, allow people to pick up a bunch of rocks, throw them at you until you are dead, and then just bury you under that pile of rocks. This is quite a thing that she's being asked to agree to. You can think of the incredible criticism and ridicule, the gossip, the innuendo. I mean, just think of the emotion she would feel as a 13, 14-year-old girl. And yet, we can learn something from a 13, 14-year-old girl here, men and women. I think we see her demonstrate a character, a character quality that God desires me to have and you to have. And a 13, 14-year-old girl shows it to us, something that we should emulate and learn from her. Look at verse 38. And Mary said... Speaking of herself, behold the bond slave of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. Wow. What's the character quality that we see in her that I believe God desires all of his followers to demonstrate and all of us to emulate? It's this. What we see from her is a servant heart marked by a willingness to submit to the will of God. Now if you think, humanly, this sounded like an attractive option. Humanly speaking, it wasn't. But she demonstrated the quality of a servant heart marked by a willingness to submit to the will of God. And when I look at this 13, 14-year-old girl, I find myself asking the question, Is that a quality that exists in my heart? Is that a characteristic of of my life? A servant heart marked by a willingness to submit to the will of God. What What do we like to do a lot with the will of God? I don't know. I did it for years. We want to run from it. Here's the will of God. I'm not interested in that. I'm running off over here. I don't care what the will of God is. I care what my will is. And I spent multiple years looking out for number one. I was interested in Bruce's will, in my will, not really interested too much in the will of God. And yet there's so much to learn from this 13, 14-year-old girl, a servant heart with a willingness to submit to the will of God. Of God too often what happens when the will of God comes to us and it just isn't exactly lining up with our own it doesn't just feel like this is just the perfect thing for me what do we do we tend to resist it right we begin to question it God what you're allowing in my life it's not right it's unfair and I can easily see a 13, 14 year old Mary saying this. Whoa, <laughs> you don't understand. Had this thing all arranged. Going to get the little marriage thing going here. We're going to get married within the year. And, you know, I, this is not right for me to have to deal with this. This is unfair. Despite all of the risks, despite all of the ridicule, and even despite the impossibility, how could I ever survive such a thing if God dealt me those cards? Despite all of that, we see a servant heart marked by a willingness to submit to the will of God. She says to God, I am your servant, and if that is your will for me, so be it. And I was just thinking about this, about we come to the Christmas season. Could we really, could we look God in the eyes and just say to him, behold, the bondslave of the Lord? Whatever your will is for me, I will willingly submit to it. See, we can learn from a 13, 14-year-old girl. Now, I want you to notice something else about this character quality. A servant heart marked by a willingness to submit to the will of God. I want you to notice something about that. It is the same character quality demonstrated by Jesus Christ himself who came here to be a servant of God marked by a willingness to submit to the will of God Jesus was like that and the last time I checked he wants us to be just like him a servant Heart marked by a willingness to submit to the will of God, even when the will of God could mean great difficulty for us. You know, Christmas, men and women, is a truly amazing time. It is truly amazing. And as we close today, I want to share with you some thoughts about Christmas put together by Max Lucato. So if you would just go ahead and close your Bibles. And I just want you to think about Christmas and how amazing it is. It all happened in a moment, the most remarkable moment. As moments go, that one appeared no different than any other. But in reality, that particular moment was like none other. For through that segment of time, a spectacular thing occurred. God became a man. While the creatures of earth walked unaware, divinity arrived. Heaven opened herself and placed her most precious one in a human womb. The omnipotent in one instant made himself breakable. He who had been spirit became pierceable. He who was larger than the universe became an embryo, and he who sustains the world with a word chose to be dependent upon the nourishment of a young girl. God as a fetus, holiness sleeping in a womb, the creator of life being created. He came not as a flash of light or as an unapproachable conqueror, but one whose first cries were heard by a peasant girl and a sleepy carpenter. Were it not for the shepherds, there would have been no reception, and were it not for a group of stargazers, there would have been no gifts." For 33 years, he would feel everything you and I have ever felt. He felt weak. He grew weary. His feelings got hurt. His feet got tired, and his his head ached. To think of Jesus in such a light is, well, it, it seems almost irreverent, doesn't it? It's not something we like to do. It's uncomfortable. It's much easier to keep the humanity out of the incarnation. Clean the manure from around the manger. Wipe the sweat out of his eyes. He's easier to stomach that way. There's something about keeping him divine that keeps him distant, packaged, predictable. But don't do it. For heaven's sakes, don't. Let him be as human as he intended to be. Let him into the mire and muck of our world. For only if we let him in can he pull us out. Listen to him. Love your neighbor was spoken by a man whose neighbors tried to kill him. The challenge to potentially leave family for the gospel was issued by one who kissed his mother goodbye in the doorway. Pray for those who persecute you came from the lips that would soon be begging God to forgive his murderers. And men and women, we need to remember that when we have to face difficulty in our life. We need to remember that the next time His will for our life seems so impossible. Just call Him Jesus and willingly submit to His will. Let's pray together. Father, we we just thank you for this book that so unfolds the story of Christmas before us, and sometimes we're so familiar with it, we miss the power of it all. And I just really want to thank you today for a 13, 14-year-old girl by the name of Mary who has taught me something about what it means to be one with a servant heart who will willingly submit to the will of God even if it seems ridiculous, uncomfortable, and potentially painful. We thank you for her, and we thank you for the Savior himself. What an incredible story, the story of Jesus coming to be our deliverer. May we not go through Christmas with just a humdrum attitude about all of this. Teach us, we pray, fresh things about a great God. And we pray in His name. Amen.